songs and great preaching that we've heard this week. Haven't you been blessed this week? Would you say amen? Amen. All right, this time I'm going to go ahead and ask Dawn to make her way up. She's going to sing a special for us at the beginning of our preaching time. And after that, Brother Mike, feel free to make your way right on up.
I was over to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. We have greatly enjoyed our time with you, and uh, you have been uh, great to fellowship with and to preach to, and uh, you never know what it's going to be like when you come back to a place after 19 years, and you go, well, I know a few faces, maybe uh, you know, not so many that would be here. You know, in an average church, you say, how many people have been here 20 years? Uh, it's not very many, usually, because of jobs and other things that move people on. Uh, but it's been a joy to catch up with some of you and uh, to meet some of you for the first time and to get to know you. And uh, we will definitely be praying for you as this church moves forward past us. You know, we, we had revival services, but we never really know if we had revival until much after the revival services are over. Uh, the results of the revival are seen uh, later on. And revival is for God's people. Uh, you can't really revive somebody that's never been alive. And uh, so we're reviving, uh, we're asking God to revive us again. And so it's not always manifested in some great way in here. It's as we have that revival and then we go back out into the workplace and we go out into our schools and in our homes. Uh, Then we begin to see those things uh, come out in our life. And I look forward to hearing uh, how God is continuing to use Lighthouse and continue to use this church. We have, again, great memories here. Uh, I, I was telling somebody, I said, there's still so many things I do in our church uh, that I attribute to some things that I learned here in just a short period of time. Um, I learned a lot while I was here, but that was also in part because I didn't know anything hardly when I came here. And so started with a very clean slate, and I got to work with Pastor Brian, and he was uh, great uh, to work with. Very, it, it was funny because I used to always tell people, uh, Pastor Brian would have never hired me uh, if he had been the pastor uh, before I came. Uh, he would have never hired me. I, I, he, he may deny that now. I'm just telling you, he wouldn't have hired. And let me also tell you, he shouldn't have hired me, okay? Uh, he kind of got me dumped in his lap. Uh, I was uh, here uh, just a couple months before he became pastor. And uh, I, I believe that God did that for a reason, again, because that was the only way I was going to get here, uh, was to get here before then. And God used that time uh, with uh, Pastor Brian, working with him and learning so much um, and going through some things. And some of you remember all the stuff that went on. Uh, during those early days uh, of that transition, uh, and it was stressful, but it was exciting, and it was just great to see God. I remember weeks where we were seeing um, 11 saved in one week, and uh, uh, man, it was exciting. And I heard, and I remember some curmudgeon said, well, it's just kids getting saved. You're looking at a kid that got saved. Uh, not then, uh, but uh, years ago, I got saved at uh, nine years old, and I'm thankful that God saves kids, and uh, God can take those kids and use them. And many of you in this room, you got saved as kids. And man, I'm thankful uh, for the ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church and to see it continuing. And I'm glad, you know, some churches you can't go to uh, after 19 years because everything's changed. All their positions have changed. All their doctrine has changed. And I'm thankful this is still the same uh, biblical, biblically-minded church uh, that it is. And uh, like I said, we cannot say enough about I have to say the nice things about Pastor Brian when he's not here. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, you gotta, you just gotta help him a little bit on that. You don't want to puff anybody up a little too much. I told him yesterday when he, he, we were talking about him going down to Grand Rapids. I said, "Oh man, I had a bunch of things I was going to say about you tomorrow in the pulpit, but now I'll be nice uh, since you won't be there." And uh, he was uh, quite relieved on that. But Isaiah uh, chapter forty-one, verse ten, the Bible says here: "Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed." For I am thy God. 
I'll strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. This verse signifies to us the great God that we have. The God that we can trust to put our lives into his hand. He's in control and that because he's in control, I don't have to be dismayed. I don't have to be uh, fretting. I don't have to be worried about uh, is things gonna, are, are things going to be okay? Is he going to be in control? Several years ago, there was a news story about a young man who was dealing with leukemia. And they had interviewed him about his hardships and what he was dealing with. And he made a simple but yet profound statement, which was later used as a rallying cry. And people were placing signs in their yard, in their area to help support this young man in his battle against leukemia. But the simple statement he said was, God's got this. God's got this. Yes, I've, I've got leukemia, but God's got this. Yes, I got some bad news from the doctor, but God's got this. And we look at around or what's going on in our world today, can I remind you, God's in control, God's got this. Like our world is very helter-skelter right now. The things going on in our world, things being taught in our, in our world today and things, the confusion in our world of all the things that are so opposite of God's word and we say, what in the world, what is this world coming to? It's coming to an end. That's what it's coming to. He's going to come back soon. But he's in control. He has got this. And sometimes in our life, we can put on this bravado, bravado attitude and try to act all tough and say, oh, don't worry, I've got this. I, I'll figure this out. I'll, I'm in control. I can fix this. I can figure these things out. We seem to think a lot of ourselves uh, many times. We tend to think very lowly of others, but we think very highly of ourselves. So I want to address tonight a few areas as we close out the revival in which we need to be reminded that God's got this. So a little bit different than what we've done the other services. will be a little bit more topical in nature. But I want to think of just some areas in our life as we close out our revival meeting where we can think, I need to be reminded that God's got this. Look over in John chapter number 11. And of course, we, the elephant in the room, as we look at this point, we all know uh, why Pastor Brian and Miss Charity aren't here right now. That They're down uh, at the hospital there in Grand Rapids with uh, Mackenzie and uh, with Alyssa and them as they're waiting on some more uh, tests and different things to come back. But, you know, when we look at the area of our health and our life, God's got this. God's in control of every situation, even the, the doctor visits, even the accidents that happened along the way. A couple of years ago, uh, we bought a, a brand new van. When I say brand new, brand new for us. It was like a, maybe a year old, had like 10,000 miles. And we bought a van for our church, one of those uh, Ford Transits. And I drove the van from where we were at uh, uh, Indianapolis to get lettering put on it, uh, to get the church logo and things put on there. And uh, on the way back, I'm, I'm driving home and I, uh, I, the cops are there and they pull everybody over to one lane. They said, there's an accident up ahead. So we're going to put you all in one lane so that any emergency vehicles that need to get here through can use this empty lane. And I'm in my lane, I'm pulled over, and all of a sudden I look up in the mirror and I see this semi coming in at like 65, 70 miles an hour, clearly not seeing that they're trying to wave him over. And I, I just, in the, the, the blink of an eye, I, I, I've got a decision to make. I can just be honest with you, it wasn't my great thinking or anything like that. God just kind of, uh, you know, gave me... Uh, the, the exact right moment, I'll say, explain in a minute why it's the exact right moment of when I even noticed it. 
And so I see him coming in. I take the, the van. I've got a semi right in front of me. I jerk the wheel. I hit the gas. I try to get over into the empty lane. And he hits the back corner of my van. And I start to spin out. And a van flips over. I go into a ditch. He veers a little bit sideways. He hits the uh, semi in front of me. Had I uh, looked just a little bit later, I would have been a pancake between those two semis and it would have been over. If I would have looked a little bit earlier, he would have been done. Because he would have went straight directly into the semi in front of me instead of hitting the back corner of my van and veering just a little bit. He would have gone and possibly if I would have gotten all the way out of the way, when he hit that, it would have been right at my driver's side door and it could have killed me too. But I got just enough out to where he hit the corner of the van. I spun out, landed in a nice watery ditch there where it was a nice soft landing. And, uh, you know, airbags went out and off and everything. And I, I get done with that. And he was in a bad accident. He, he ended up uh, having to get pulled out of there. He, he lost a leg in the accident, but he was alive. And one of the things everybody said to me afterwards was, man, God was really watching over you. I don't mean to be disrespectful to those people, but can I tell you, had I died, God was still watching. God wasn't in control because I was okay. God's in control because he's never not in control. And we will sometimes say, boy, man, that was a close one. God was, God was really looking out for me. God is always in control. God is always watching. Rather, we, as the song said, when things don't turn out like we wish they would, God is still good and God is in control. In John chapter 11, verse 4 here, it says, Jesus heard this, talking about uh, Lazarus here. He said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. We know this story. Jesus has been told his friend Lazarus is sick. He's been told Lazarus is about to die. He starts there in verse 14. He says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. He says, Now, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister uh, and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then, after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. The disciples, And then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest of rest and sleep. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so Jesus has been told, hey, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus says, okay, I'll wait a couple days. And then he tells his disciples, hey, let's go. Lazarus is asleep, or he tells them later on he's dead. I've got to go wake him up. Some people would have said, well, why didn't you just come two days before and heal him? So you didn't have to go through all this. But he said that it might be that the Son of God might be glorified. Look at verse 40, 41 here in this chapter. It says, They took away the stone from that place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou, hast, uh, thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
And when uh, he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with, uh, about him with a napkin, and Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. I'm glad Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. If he just said, Come forth, it might have been a much different day that day. A whole bunch of people coming forth. And as we read chapter 11, in the beginning, we, Jesus said the sickness is not unto death, but to the glory of God, that he might be glorified thereby. But later he tells him in verse 14, Lazarus is dead, but Jesus, unlike us, knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's about to happen. And look, Lazarus eventually died. I always thought, I'd love to have been at the second funeral of Lazarus. Where people are like, okay, we fell, we fell for this once. Is he going to come back? Like, you know, three or four days later, they're all like, all right, let's see if Lazarus has got another one of these in him. We, several years ago, I... We had a guy in our church, he was, had been kind of sick, he had been sent home, basically hospice was going to come in, and um, another guy in our church, very faithful member, I have no reason to ever disbelieve the guy, uh, he comes up to me, he hears us talking about this guy, his name is Ralph Dixon, and uh, he hears it, he said, well, did you hear he went on home last night? Now, if you hear that, what do you think that means? He died, right? And so, I mean, he was already at home. And he said, he went on home last night. That means he's dead, okay? So I get up in the pulpit and I say, Ralph Dixon died last night. Let's be praying for his wife, June. And uh, we'll let you know since we hear the arrangements. Sunday afternoon, everybody goes home. They call June Dixon and they say, hey, we're sorry to hear about Ralph, that he you know, passed away. And she said, he didn't die. He's in the other room right now. So everybody comes back to church Sunday night. Pastor, he's not dead. I found out that this other guy thought I was talking about somebody else who was in the hospital, and he really did go on home to his house. So it was bad confusion. So Sunday night, I said, hey, my fault. Rel's alive. Everything's fine. Monday, I get a call. Rel died today. So now i got to get up on Wednesday night and announce Rel Dixon died. And, I'm, and some of you that remember me, you know, I don't always handle awkward well. I tend to... The more nervous I get, the more I crack jokes. And so I said, Rel Dixon died, and this time he's all the way dead, okay? I said, he's like, he's dead for real, okay? And uh, somebody in my church said, I'll wait till I read it in the obituary. <laughs> you know, they're like, I am not making that call again. But man, I always thought, what would it be like to have been at Lazarus's second funeral? Eventually he did die. But know this, God was in control that time, just as much as he was in control in John chapter 11. During both of those situations, one that led to a resurrection and one that looked, led to the fact that Lazarus was never coming back in this lifetime. Both of them, God was in control. He's in control of your health, no matter what the doctor says. And even when it may seem that you have few days, uh, a few days left, God is always right on time. And when he seems like he's a few days late, he's always right on time. And after Jesus was told he was sick, he waited a few days. He wasn't fearful that, oh man, if I don't get there quickly enough, what am I going to do? He knows that when he shows up, nothing else really matters. The date, the time, the circumstance, none of that really matters when God shows up. Look, God can use your health to bring him glory, whether it be in some kind of a miraculous earthly healing or in going home to be with him. Let God be glorified and magnified in our good medical reports, just as in our bad medical reports. We've all lost loved ones. Many 
uh, early in life. And we might think, man, how in the world is God going to get glory from this? And we may not always understand it right in the moment. But man, I remember losing uh, my brother-in-law and losing uncles in a, that early in their life. And then at the time thinking, how in the world? I remember losing my grandpa when I was 12 years old. My grandpa was 64 years old. He, he pastored a church. And um, man, that church was, they ran about 20, 25 people. And uh, they couldn't afford to even pay him to make any of his bills meet. But he had uh, a company that he had started where he washed windows for like Kmart and Walmart and all these big companies. And that's how he was able to, to live was by doing that. And they, when the church would pay him, they'd pay him $50 every week. And he would just take that $50 and put it right back in the offering plate. And, uh, but he, he just did all that through that. And he died. And I, I thought, I remember thinking, how's that church going to go forward? They may not find somebody else who can come in here and doesn't need any kind of a, a salary to uh, pay the bills for their family. And, and, and I, Lord, I just don't understand it. My grandmother, who they got married when she was 14, she can't take care of herself. Uh, she's had him her whole life what in the world is going on how can God get glory out of this I've seen that church over the years continue to serve the Lord and they, they always found somebody to pastor that God would send their way during that year I went and uh, lived with my grandmother uh, I got out of the for one year I got out of the drug infested home I was in and I went and lived with her so that she wouldn't have to be by herself in that house where she found him in when he passed away. I didn't want her to be by herself and so I talked to my mom about it and I'll be honest I was being a little bit selfish. I wanted to get out of my house and I thought this is a way to do it. I'll go be with grandma. And I, I, maybe I did manipulate it a little bit. I don't know. But I, wanted to, I did want to be there for her but I also wanted to get out of the situation I was in. And during that year God called me to preach. And I, I would imagine that my grandpa sitting up in heaven wouldn't say today, man, I wish I'd have just had two more years down there. No, he'd probably say, well, if my going led to my grandson surrendering to preach, man, I'll take that. And what did I do? I got to come here to heaven. Oh, yeah, I'll take that trade. But he was glorified. Sometimes we think if we don't have the Lazarus round one experience... That God didn't provide and God doesn't receive the glory. But God could get the glory if right now, right in the middle of me preaching, I kill over dead. God can get the glory out of that. How, how, how would God get the glory out of somebody who's trying to preach his word and dying right in the middle of it? We're not smart enough to figure that out. But he'll do it. If he can get more glory out of it. I've, I've prayed, Lord, the moment, the very moment in my life when you can get more glory out of my death than out of the rest of my life, please take me at that exact moment. I don't want to waste any time down here if I can do anything even in my death to bring you more glory than my life can. The glory of that is I get to go to heaven, though I don't deserve one, and he gets all the glory for that. So if next week you're having a funeral for me, my family can know I'm in heaven. They can know that I'm in heaven not based on my merit. Because if it was my merit, I'd spend eternity in hell. So he receives the glory. Not, oh man, he was a good guy and now he's in heaven. No, he is a great God and so he's in heaven. He receives the glory either in my healing or in my going. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When I read this story of Lazarus, my mind goes to a song that I had heard years ago that talks about Lazarus. It says, the reason this story gives hope to so many is although we all know we must die, that one day he's going to cry out to us to come forth. And one day we're going to go forth and we're going to meet with him. That's the reason that we have hope. 
You see, we should hear John chapter 11 and think, hey, uh, or, you know, that's the story about, La- or we tend to think that's the story of Lazarus. No, 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 no. That's the story of Christ showing the honor and the glory that he has, that showing the power that he has over life. And most likely, most of us, I guess I should throw this disclaimer in, maybe someone will, but more than likely, all of us are not going to experience Lazarus round one. But we will experience Lazarus round two. We're going to die one day. Where where will we be when we're in the grave? We're not going to be walking back around here again. But he gets the glory if we are his children. Another area, look in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 down in verse number 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 19. The Bible says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I tell you, when you think about the area of your health, God's got this. When you think about the area of your finances, God's got this. This is an area in in our world in which we need to be reminded even more and more as inflation is rising more and more that God's got this. The financial situation of our world is not what we would hope it to be right now. Or even what it was just a few years ago. But most of us have read and heard this verse quoted many times. And it's a great promise to believers who are struggling in their circumstances. But have you ever stopped and thought or asked yourself while reading this, but why? Why should God supply all of our needs? I mean, he's already promised me a home in heaven. Like, what else can I really say? Hey, you need to do this. You've provided a home in heaven for me. Why? So why does he need to do these things? Why would he worry about taking care of all of our needs here on this earth? Or maybe you thought about it this way. Why do believers have needs? Why do we have needs? Why hasn't God just heaped everything on us so that unbelievers would be like, wow, look how awesome their God is. He gave them all this stuff. I want to follow that God. I like that plan personally. I thank God. You could get a lot of glory out of that. So I submit my plan that you heap it all on me. He has yet to answer me in such a a way that I can say he answered positively. He's heaped a lot on us, but not everything. God allows needs into our lives, as we've talked all week, to drive us to him. So we will cry out to him to help him take care of a matter. Think in your life, when have you prayed the most? When you've had the greatest needs. When have you dropped everything, whatever you were doing, and said, I need to pray? Right there in the middle of a dire situation. Right in the middle of needs. God always takes care of our needs in His timing. And we often learn more about the purpose of God in our life because of our need that He has allowed into our life. When it comes to needs in the life of the believer, needs are essential for encouragement. It helps us to believe on his promises when we can look back and see all the times he's delivered. So as I look forward in my life and I see some need that's on the horizon, I can also look back and see all the fulfilled needs that God has done in my life and say, God's got this. Helps us to believe his promises when we see him delivered. It's one thing to read his word and see how he has provided for others. But until I experience it for myself... You know, I've heard for years, I've heard all kinds of testimonials of people, how God has provided for them. 
But man, when he provided for me, then I'm like, well, now that's a good story. Because then I really know how dire it was. Sometimes I would even say, I would submit to you, sometimes we do our kids a disservice by protecting them from ever knowing about the needs that we have. Because then they don't get to see God move. So if we think, well, I don't want to burden my kids with the stresses of our life, we'll keep them from these things. Then they don't get to see God deliver and God move. Don't rob them of that. He, he provides needs so that we can learn that he's got this. And I firmly believe that it's impossible to be a child of God and go through life and never have a need and never see God meet your needs. If you're his child, you don't have to worry about your needs being met. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says that we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling, or we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like we are yet without sin. So then he says, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I can come boldly to his throne, not because, well, Lord, I deserve this. It's not bold because I can say, Lord, I I know what needs to be done. No, it's bold because I know I'm coming to the only one who can actually do something about it. And so I'm coming to his throne saying, I need grace and mercy. And I can do it boldly because I know his throne is full of grace and mercy. And so I know when I come to his throne, I've come to the right place. That's why I can be bold as I approach the throne. Not because I've somehow achieved something, but because of who he is. He tells us to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. So what happens to then when God does come through? We're greatly encouraged. Man, when we have a need, we go to the throne of grace and mercy and God meets it. Man, we're encouraged and we're strengthened for the next battle. When we say, man, I've got a huge financial need. I need $500 for this and I don't have a clue where it's going to come from. And don't scheme for it. And don't put it out there, everybody. Hey, here's my GoFundMe page. I need 500 bucks. And I'm not against GoFundMe, but I'm just saying sometimes let God have a chance to move. And when God delivers in a way that only God can, boy, we are greatly encouraged in knowing that God is the one who knew, knew the need all along. The most encouraging people and most encouraging situations are when a need has been met before that need was ever even known by us. Some of you, I've shared a story with just a couple of you, but we had in our church, we, I was in our sanctuary, or our old sanctuary one day, it had been turned into our junior church, kind of like your all situation here, where you have your old sanctuary down there. And I started looking at all the drywall up at the top. It was cracking. And that's not a good sign. And I thought, you know, you invite those friends to church, and they're like, if I come, the roof will fall in. And I was like, man, if they walk in, they're going to say, see, it's already started. Like, it was, it was cracking everywhere. So we got up there to start looking, and we got up on the other side of the rafters, and we began to look, and we have 23 trusses in our old sanctuary. 21 of the 23 trusses were completely broken. And when I say broken, I mean, there's no reason outside from God that our building had not collapsed on us. The outside walls had begun to bow where the trusses were dipping, where you have, and I don't know what all the terms are, but where you have the top of your truss, and then you have it's a scissor truss, and it comes in, you have that next... Uh, layer about, you know, what is it, about three feet lower at the peak. And you have that, that uh, two by four that comes down from the peak down to the second layer of that scissor truss. 
they had just all, the building had mostly been built by volunteer labor of men in the church back in the 80s. And apparently they hadn't put those plates on well enough. And so they had just loosened from the plates with the weight of the snow on the roof over the years. And they had begun to slip. And I mean, trusses were just broken in half, some of them, and just splintered everywhere. Outside of God, there's no reason that building didn't fall in on us. Can I tell you this? We never one time prayed, God, would you not make our building fall in on us today? We never came into service and said, God, we'd like to have the roof intact before we when we get out of here today. Never knew it was a problem. But God knew the need long before we did. And God met the need. And when uh, I'll look back and I say, man, I'm dealing with the first insurance company we have when I was a pastor. I don't think they'd have helped us with it. New insurance company came in. They said, that's really not our responsibility, but we'll help you with it. And they helped take care of that need. And we got that building back and and it looks way better and it's way more secure than it used to be. And we got all that taken care of. But God met that need before we even knew there was a need. God was meeting. I remember, some of you remember a sweet lady here in this church, Faye Carlton. Uh, how many of you remember Faye Carlton? There's not a lot of you around the room. Faye was one of my favorite people. And uh, I remember a story with her. Uh, and I don't think she would mind that I would ever tell this story in the pulpit. But uh, she was, uh, one time early in her faith, uh, she, she said, I, I need to, not only do I need to start tithing, but I need, to, I need to pay off this debt that I have. I need to quit accruing any new death, debt. And so she was trying to pay these things off. She was trying to uh, get everything taken care of. She was trying to tithe. And she came to church and she had a decision to make. I could either tithe or I can buy this thing that I kind of need at my house. I can't remember what the need was uh, that she had. But she was like, you know, I need to buy this need or take care of this need. And I think the need was something like $55. And she said, well, that's about what my tithe is, and I'm going to put my tithe in the offering plate. This was on Sunday. She put it in. Monday, she goes to the store. She you know, comes back. She checks her mail, and there's a check for $55 in the mail. That had been mailed the Thursday before all of this came up, but then was in her mailbox on Monday. And she said, I'll never doubt him again. (laughs) She said, you know, I was obedient and God provided for that need that I had. And many people would have told her, hey, Faye, you're justified because you have this need. But she said, but I want to be obedient to God. And God said, I've got this. It's not only important for your encouragement, but for the encouragement and development of other people as a Christian as well. But look, God creates a need in your life or in your church so that he can develop us and that we may develop our faith and our character. The Bible talks about this process over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of, your, trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What a great process in our life that God lets a need come to us and then he is able and willing to deliver. That happened with Lazarus. God allowed it to take place knowing he was going to take care of it. He wasn't rushed. He was going to take care of it in his time for his glory. And in fact, I believe if, if he came there really quickly, some would have just said, well, he just started feeling better. I mean, he just, it's just coincidence that Jesus got here and then Lazarus started feeling better. He wasn't really dead. He was just sick. But I imagine when he showed up and, and they said his body was to the point of stinking, everybody knew, no, he's really dead. Sometimes the need in our life is just has to be big enough that when God moves, we can't steal the glory for it. So I said the other night, 
We all want to see a miracle of God. We just don't want to need a miracle of God. Those needs are essential for our encouragement and our development and also our confidence in the character of God. You see, God is the great provider no matter what the need is. There's never a need that's greater than your God. God can and will meet your needs. But notice tonight, in the verse we read just a few minutes ago, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But notice that important pronoun, my God. So before you can count on the blessings of God, make sure He's your God. Make sure that you have a personal relationship with Christ. There's a great promise of provision here when he throws in that word, shall provide. Not that he might, or now, not he'll see what he can do. Not he'll try. He shall supply all your need. We had a guy in our church, Brother Henson, he would always pray before the offering. He'd say, Lord, we pray you'd help us to meet our needs. And Lord, help us to differentiate our needs from our greeds. <laughs> he would say it every time he'd pray. He said, Lord, help us to know the difference between our needs and our greeds. But my God shall supply all of our needs. And if we're honest, sometimes he spoils us, even with some of our greeds. He's so good to us. But Scripture leaves no question that God's in control and that he'll provide. A lesson for us in this matter is that before the need is to be met, God wants us to place our trust in him to supply. No matter what the trial is, all our need, not just our finances, all of our needs he shall supply according to his riches and glory. Aren't you glad we're drawn from his riches and not ours? If it was dependent on my riches or my strength or my ability or my way to figure out a scheme and a plan, I'd be in big trouble. But our needs are met by the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hill. The one who created everything by just speaking it into existence. When you compare that to your needs, my needs your needs don't seem so big anymore. The, guy who, the God who created everything. Hebrews chapter 9 also tells another area that God has got and an area in which many individuals have said, I got this, and that is the area of our salvation. Many times I'll talk, you go out soul winning, you'll talk to people, and they'll say, I say, how do you, how do you know you're going to? Oh, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. How do you know? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. Man, I'm, I'm a good person. A couple years ago, I was talking to my dad. My dad was not around when I was a kid. He was a deadbeat dad. Never took any interest in doing anything with our family. And then now as an adult, if you hear him talk, he was dad of the year every year. You know, he was just, oh, he told me one time, he said, well, you know, I just don't believe in spanking kids. I said, most people don't when they live five states away from their kid and don't have to deal with them. And I said, deal, if you'd have dealt with us, you'd have really felt like spanking us a lot. He said, well, I just don't believe in that. And I'm like, well, I don't believe in being a deadbeat dad, you know. But he went in the hospital and I had to go visit him in the hospital. And I'll be honest with you, I went visiting, thinking I'm going to go witness to him. And I'll just be very transparent here. It was odd because I was like, this is like visiting just any random unsaved guy. We can say he's my dad. I can look at him. I can see the resemblance. He's bald and has a beard too. So I can definitely see the resemblance there. And I said, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, my dad. It was... This guy's lost and needs to get saved. And so I started to witness to him. And I've, I realized then at that time I had to deal with some, some repressed bitterness and anger in my own heart. And I was talking to him and I said, hey, Dad, uh, I said, if you died today, do you know you'd go to heaven? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know. And I remember thinking, wow, I wasn't expecting that answer. I said, really? I said, well, what makes you confident that you'd go to heaven? And he said, I mean, I'm a, I'm a good guy. And I, I'll never forget... I don't recommend this if you're soul winning. 
I went, no, you're not. <laughs> and he said, what? And I said, no, you're not. I said, let's, let's recount some things here. You abandon your family. You've cheated on every wife you've had. You've done this. You've done that. I, I just went down a long list. And I finally saw him and said, now stop me when I get to the good part. Man, I, again, I don't recommend this when you go so winning. And I finally said to him, I said, Dad, if you are relying on your goodness to get you to heaven, I would think you would do better. If I thought it was up to me to get to heaven, man, I'd be doing everything I possibly could to do every good deed I possibly could. I mean, we ought to do every good deed we can anyway. But if I thought that that's what was going to get me to heaven, you'd think, man, I would be pouring everything into that. But no, he wasn't doing that. And what he meant by, I'm a good guy is I know people worse. Because his next statement was, well, it's not like I've, and I'll never forget, he said, it's not like I'm Osama bin Laden. I was like, wow, you really had to scrape the bottom of the barrel to find somebody on that side of the spectrum, didn't you? Oh, well, at least I'm not. How many times you had somebody say it? Well, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I, you know, I've taken care of my kids. I haven't cheated on my wife. I don't cheat on my taxes. They come up with something that they have decided makes them better than someone else. So therefore, I'm a good enough person. But can I tell you, you're not going to get to heaven because you've got this. If you get to heaven, it's because God's got this. And He has paid for your sin. And yes, we are saved unto good works, but your good works will never save you. People say, oh, I got baptized. I'm a member of such and such a church. I had a guy tell me one time, I said, well, where do you go to church? He said, I go to Calvary Road Baptist Church. And for those of you who don't know, that's the church I pastor. And I was like, really? Interesting. I had only been the pastor for like a month, but I had been there for three years as the associate pastor. I'd never seen this guy in my life. But he lives in our subdivision, so he drives by our sign every day, and somehow he thought, this is my church. I have church. I mean, I read their little snippets on the sign little Bible verses and stuff. So I get all my spiritual enrichment in that drive right past their side. And he said, and, and, and I probably shouldn't have done this, but uh, he, I said, really, you go to Calvary Road Baptist Church? I said, I heard they have a new pastor over there. What's his name? And he goes, oh, man, if you hadn't asked me, I could have told you. It's, it's right on the tip of my tongue. And I thought, man, this is going to be a great Sunday when he walks in here just so he can find out who the pastor is. And I'm like, but he never came. He never came to the church. But, you know, people will say, well, I go to this church, so I know I'm saved. And I'll tell you, I love Lighthouse Baptist Church, but if you're a member here, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Your name on this roll doesn't mean your name's in the book of life. I've had people say, my dad was a preacher. I've been in church my whole life. I've heard that many times. But anytime we put something visible or physical that we have done as our hope for heaven, what we're saying is, I've got this. We're saying that what Jesus Christ on the cross wasn't quite enough. I mean, it's an important part of the story, but it wasn't quite enough. That he needed my help in the matter. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 down in verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into one, and, and once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption 
for us. Once was enough. When his blood was spilled and placed before God Almighty at the beam of seat, Christ said, with the authority of all, of all of heaven, I've got this. He didn't need my help in satisfying a righteous, holy God. His blood paid the price. And by relying on my works or relying on my money or relying on my baptism or relying on my good works, I'm essentially, essentially saying, step aside, Jesus, I've got this. That was a good starting point. But now I've got it. Now look, getting baptized, joining a church, tithing, doing good things, none of those are making you saved. They make you obedient. But there's a difference. You become his child, and then you're to be obedient. But just doing those things will not make you his child. Somebody tell me all the time, what do you say about someone who gets saved and doesn't get baptized, or won't join a church, or won't tithe, or, or won't this, or won't that, or won't share their faith with others? I'd say the same thing to all of them. You're a disobedient, disobedient child of God, and, and you're not listening to God's will for your life, and be mindful, God chastens those whom he loves. Somebody told me, well, if they won't get baptized, that's the first step of obedience. So if they won't get baptized, they must not be saved. What's the difference between the first step of obedience and the 95th step of obedience? Either way, you're disobedient, and God chastens those whom he loves. Salvation isn't a relay race where Christ does one leg of it, and we work hard to finish out the race. He's got this. Lastly, when we think about keeping our salvation, our eternal security, what keeps us saved? Well, guess what? God's got that too. Not only is His power that saved me, but it's also His power that keeps me saved. To be honest, if we could lose our salvation, we would lose our salvation. All of us would. I'd need to get saved at least once a week, if not once a day, if I could lose my salvation. Salvation is such a great salvation in part because it's secure. I can't lose it. It's great knowing that if I died today, I'd be in heaven. But look, I got saved at nine years old. I've said way more since I got saved than I did before I got saved. When I was nine years old. What was I really involved with? Smacking my sister. Um, you know, most of my sin probably involved my sisters. Uh, I'm trying to do stuff to them or disobeying my parents. I got to tell you, the, the pride that creeps up in our life has been way worse since I was nine. The things in our life where I think, man, I'm sufficient, I can do this, I have way more problems with that as an adult than I did as a nine-year-old. But I can know today that if I die today, I, will, I would be in heaven. But you know what's even greater? If I die in 40 years, I'm just as secure in that salvation. There's nothing that can happen between now and 40 years from now that could make me lost. I got saved in 1998, or 1988, and I've never been more saved or less saved in that time. I've always just been saved in His arms. But I'm secure not because I'm good enough, because He is enough. Look in your Bible, John chapter 10. Let's go back there and we'll finish out in there in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, down in verse number 28. I, I, uh, sorry, I'll give you a moment to get there. I was told this morning I need to slow down a little bit. I talk a little fast sometimes. John chapter 10, verse 28. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So no man... That would include yourself. Some might say, 
I'd have reason to doubt someone's salvation, including ourselves, if, about saying if they're really saved, if they don't, and then you fill in the blank. If they don't go so many, if they don't tithe, if they don't get baptized, if they don't go to church enough, if they don't read their Bible. It's one thing to wonder about their salvation and continue to give them the gospel just in case. It's another thing to say they aren't saved because this fruit's not there. Because we don't, first of all, it's, it's funny how we are more concerned about the fruit that's not present in their life than we are about the fruit that's not present in our life. It's always legitimate to judge a tree by the fruit we see. If we don't see fruit, share the gospel with them. Maybe they'll get saved or maybe they'll be reminded of what a great thing God did for them and they'll draw nigh to him. But guess what? They could be showing all the outward fruits and not be saved. Some would say, well, if they're saved, I don't understand why God isn't chastening them like he does me. I'll say here that I have six kids. I discipline each one a little bit differently based on their age, their maturity level, and other, situa- other factors that come in sometimes. And also, sometimes we discipline them privately. Not every kid knows what punishment every other kid got. God doesn't always announce to us how he's going to discipline other church members and how he's going to handle them. And sometimes they don't come in here today and every day and say, you know, a lot of Christians, we're trying to be polite, so we lie, of course. We come in and we go, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Liar. You're not doing great. You're not doing great. You're miserable. And so we come to church and we go, man, I know that guy's got sin in his life. Why does he keep doing great all the time? Well, they're just lying to you. You don't know what they're going through. I've had people tell me, man, I've been miserable for the last two months. I'm thinking, man, I didn't know that at all. I couldn't tell. You always had a big smile on your face, said everything was going good. I was just dumb enough to believe you. But then you find out, man, God's been working in their hearts. I had a guy in our church just recently come to me, and I thought everything was fine. And he said, man, it was like that one service, he had a look on his face. And I thought, man, did I say something to make him mad? And he came to me, and he said, man, I, I was so convicted during that message. And he said, but it's been going on for like two months. And I was like, two months? I just now noticed it tonight. He said, oh, man, it's been just shaking me for like two months. Sometimes we say, why isn't God working on them? Maybe he is and you just don't know about it. I also know this. If they're saved, they'll always be saved. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now in Romans chapter 11 verse 29, it says, The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. It doesn't mean, hey, you don't ever have to repent of your sin. That's not what he's saying. Repentance means change, right? So he says, if I gave you a gift, nothing's going to change about that. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. I'm not going to change this gift that I've given you where I just told you the gift of God is eternal life. It's not a have it today, have it taken away tomorrow type of gift. Salvation is of God. My works will not gain it. My works will not lose it. And we praise God for that. I know some people claim the King James Bible is hard to understand. But this Bible says, Whosoever believeth in Him shall have everlasting life. My everlasting life began in 1988. And again, some say the Bible's hard to understand. But do you know what everlasting means? Now this is, I know it's tough. King James Bible is tough to understand. Everlasting life means it lasts forever. Man. We don't need a new Bible. We just need to read the Bible we have. It means lasting forever. Not lasting until I mess up. Because that'd be a short life. Some people will say, well, you don't know. I've really let God down. Can I remind you, you weren't holding God up. 
Oh, I really let God down. You weren't holding him up. He's holding you up, and he'll never let you down. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, it says, Who else can enter in a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? And then he'll spoil his house. <laughs> Nobody can take the spoils away from God because there's no one stronger than him. The only way you could lose is for someone stronger or smarter to remove us from him. When I was, when Caleb and them were younger, I would, sometimes I'd have like a little ball in my hand. I'd go, Caleb, see if you can get this ball out of my hand. And he, man, he'd come over and he'd try to pry this finger and he'd try to pry this finger. And, and I'm not like one of those parents who let him win. You got, no, I want him to know. You, no, you're not going to beat me. Now, let me just say, I might still do this game with Shay. I ain't doing that game with Caleb no more. Caleb's like 22 years old. I ain't playing that game with him no more. Why? Because I'll lose. Why would I play a game I'm going to lose, right? So I, I, I'll do that game with people I know I'm stronger than. But you know, God kind of has that same rule. The only difference is he's stronger than everybody. He said, we're in his hand. Anybody think they can pluck that person out of God's hand? No, there's no God before him. He's a strong, powerful, almighty God. And we are secure in his hand who is stronger than god man's no competition for god god's got this so i want to remind you again as we close it while this world's in chaos like it is right now god's still got this he said fear thou not for i am with thee be not dismayed for i am thy god i will strengthen thee yea i will help thee yea i will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness and during covid the world was in chaos right people were always complaining about well, it's, this is the problem. Well, I think if we just do this, it'd fix it. Well, I think that the problem is no one died because of COVID. They died with COVID. And I think the problem is more people need to put a mask on. I think the problem is we're all breathing into the same stupid mask all day long. And we're breathing that stuff right back in our lungs. And man, everybody had an opinion about everything, right? We say, well, whose fault is it? Oh, it's Fauci's fault. Oh, it's China's fault. It's this person's fault. Can I tell you, God is in control. God knows what's going on. The important part is, it's appointed, as we think about this life, you know, people are losing all this stuff about what's important. The important part is, it's appointed in a man once to die and after this is the judgment. That's, that's always the most important thing going on in life. That's appointed in a man once to die and after this the judgment. Every person that died during those few years, every one of us that will die in the coming years, when we've taken our last breath here, we will stand before a righteous and holy God. And if I had to stand before God and plead my case on my works, and God said, I'll make you a deal. You can use your best 24-hour period ever. God said, yeah, listen, if God said, I'll make you a deal, just, all the other days, just forget them. Give me your best 24-hour period. I'd be in trouble. I, I've never gone a day in my life, I promise you, without some sin in my life. Without getting angry when I shouldn't have gotten angry. Without some pride. I'll do something right and then not sin by having being prideful about it. You know, he says, not of works lest any man should boast. You know why? Because if we could boast about it, we would boast about it. I mean, look at Facebook. We boast about everything. We boast about, oh, look at the grill marks on my steak. I mean, we boast about every little thing that we can. But if I had to stand and use my, my best 24 hours, I'd be in trouble. But he can't look upon my sin without... You know, if it was just my sin without his blood, without it causing him to wrath. But thankfully, on a Thursday night in July of 1988, in Somerset, Kentucky, I knelt at an altar and asked Christ to forgive me of my sin. 
I had faith that he died and was buried and rose again, that he is God. And I cried out to him and I called upon him to save me. And guess what he did? He saved me. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I was saved. And guess what? I'm still saved. Why? Because he's got this. He kept me. If you're here tonight and you're not sure if you're saved, I pray tonight that you would get saved. Christians, look, the, the vast majority of the COVID junk is over. They don't have all the restrictions and all that kind of stuff anymore. But if you haven't noticed, this world is still in chaos. We got people that don't even know what restroom to use. We got people that don't know that there's only two genders. I mean, our world is in chaos. Things that you never dreamed would be a possibility. That kids could say, I identify as a cat. This world is chaotic. But our God's in control. What's this world coming to? It's coming to an end. And I'm glad that as this world comes to an end, I'm in His hand. You can be in His hand tonight. And if you are in His hand, then as we finish out this revival... I pray that we would find ourselves here at the altar or there in your pew and just cry out to God and say, God, help me to live like one who really believes that you've got this. All week we've been talking about trials and circumstances and hardships and temptations and all these things and how they tend to cause us to run from God. Cry out to God, God, help me run to you. Don't, Don't let me run from you. Yes, there's chaos. Yes, there's upheaval in our society. Yes, my family has trials. Lord, let the trials bring that purpose in my life of drawing me to you instead of allowing Satan to draw me from you. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.